Hello, this is Search for Truth, your Bible study time with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. It's great to have the privilege of your company today. Thank you very much for joining us. Brian brings us talk number four in the series, Take Your Mark's Gospel, today. And this time it's called, How to Listen Well and Gain Insight. Each week, Brian gives us a Bible study talk, and you and me are listeners. But how well do we listen? Let's go to Brian now, and by listening, discover more. Thanks, John. You watch and enjoy a football match. You cheer when your team scores a goal and talk about the match afterwards. But the match doesn't change you. In the same way, perhaps, you come to church, open your Bible and enjoy the service. You sing the hymns and even talk about the sermon. But does it change you? This particular study invites us to check out how we listen to God. In Mark's presentation of Jesus selecting people and giving authoritative answers, we arrive next at one of Jesus' most famous parables. It's in chapter 4, and as we've hinted, it's a parable all about listening. Some folks think Jesus told parables to make it easy for people to understand about God. But can that be the full story? Listen to Jesus. As he was sowing, some seed fell by the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Now, let me ask you, what does that tell you about God? That's not so easy to answer, is it? To get a clue that this is a parable or story about how to listen to God, let's rewind to its introduction as given by Mark. Always remember, as we do, that Bible study is dependent on understanding the context. Context is really important. The context here is, Jesus began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about their parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, they get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. In those verses, there are two groups of people. First, people who turn away from Jesus. That's those who are outside. Second, people who believe in Jesus. That's his followers, along with the twelve. Jesus teaches his disciples and the people who listen to him. The outsiders wouldn't have him as king, so Jesus doesn't let them in on his teaching. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These words of Jesus are the key to unlocking his teaching in this story. It's about how we listen to God's word. At the end, Jesus tells us to be careful how we listen. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
We all have ears, but are they ears to hear? Jesus' parables judge the people who should have welcomed their Messiah, but they'd hard hearts, refusing to listen. So Jesus judges them by not teaching in a direct way, but in parables which they'll not understand well. Jesus' words either change us or they judge us. Listening is our responsibility. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. In other words, listeners or insiders are not to be kept in the dark permanently. If we have a serious listening ear, then more understanding will be given. That's good to know, isn't it? Let's apply that now as we try to listen to the message that begins at the end of this fourth chapter and extends through chapter five also. The repetition ought to get our attention. Four stories are being presented, each on the heels of the other. The calming of the storm, then the exorcism of the man called Legion, thirdly, the healing of a woman with a hemorrhage, and lastly, the raising of Jairus' daughter. This quick succession drives home the point to true listeners, and the point is that Jesus is the best person to turn to in a crisis. Jesus had shown in the first place that even the wind and the sea obey him. His authority extends to the natural realm as well as the spiritual and human. He then tamed the man possessed with a legion or multitude of evil spirits, a man whom none previously had been able to bind. Then there's the woman whose bleeding he stopped when she made contact by reaching out in faith and touched the hem of his cloak. She was someone who had spent all her living, endured a lot and been treated by many doctors, but hadn't been helped at all. Jesus ended her 12-year search for a cure. She came in a crowd, but her encounter with Jesus would end up as personal. There was no special healing property in Jesus' cloak, but she accessed Jesus' own virtue by means of stooping down and reaching out in faith to him. And in the fourth story, he turned mournful wailing into astounding joy. The outstanding faith of Jairus, the synagogue official, is again key to the blessing received. All of these short cameos present the same message. Jesus is mighty to save. He's the best person to turn to in any kind of crisis. Sadly, however, Jesus' followers, including the twelve, were not always the best listeners, and so they were slow to get the point. Mark now makes a striking contrast with two individuals whom we encounter in these four stories we've just mentioned. We have a saying about waiting for a bus, and it takes a very long time to come, and suddenly two come at once. I'm reminded of that when I think about these two people, the woman with the hemorrhage and the synagogue official, the father of the daughter who died. Until now, as we've been following Mark, there's been little evidence of people with faith in Jesus. Jesus has even had to question 
why his disciples don't trust him. Now, surely by design, Mark puts these two stories together. They each teach the same lesson. And that lesson is that we too need to act in real faith, not just with a casual assent to the facts. Mark then mentions a visit Jesus made to his hometown of Nazareth, where he wondered at their unbelief. This is typically the only thing Jesus is said to have wondered at during his life on earth. He wondered at the lack of faith on the part of those who'd been privileged to have some of the best seats in the house. Mark tells us Jesus could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It'd be easy to misunderstand this statement. There's nothing impossible for the Lord. The sense is he chose not to work miracles due to the unbelief he encountered there. The same wording is used for the refusal of those who, in one of Jesus' stories, were invited to a wedding banquet, but replied that they had just got married and so could not come. Again, not a physical impossibility, surely, but a matter of choice. We mentioned facts that ought to have given rise to faith. But what evidence really ought to have stimulated the disciples' faith? At this point in the Gospel, we have presented to us two back-to-back miracles. The first is perhaps the most famous of all Jesus' miracles. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Here were 5,000 reasons to believe that Jesus can satisfy the spiritual hunger in each human heart. But right afterwards, Jesus walks on water to still the waves of the sea, surely also with the intention to still the waves of doubt in his followers' hearts. However, the response of the disciples is emphasised as being particularly disappointing. They are criticised, in chapter 6, verse 52, they are criticised for failing to gain insight through these miracles, specifically the two miracles of feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking to them on the sea. Is there something more than meets the eye here? In the Old Testament, in the history of God's people Israel, we find two major historic miracles involving walking across a sea and eating bread in a desert place. Does Mark intend us to recall these by virtue of him placing these two miracles of a sea crossing and a desert feeding side by side? We can at least ask the questions. Were these miracles of deliverance at sea and feeding in a desert intentionally related by placing them side by side in Mark's Gospel, where they meant to trigger in the disciples the realisation that a greater redemption was now underway, greater, that is, than Israel's historic escape from the land of Egypt with all its slavery under Pharaoh? If so, and it cannot be expressed more strongly than that, if so, then all we can say is that Jesus' disciples failed to see the possible bigger picture. They gained no insight from the miracles. Mark tells us, as their minds were closed. Let's try to do better. Let's try to read not only this gospel, but the whole Bible in context and aim at getting the big picture. Remember, observing and listening well and gaining insight is something the Lord holds us responsible to do. It applies today no less than back then. The twelve had begun so well. They'd responded promptly to the Lord's authority when he called them. They'd left all and followed him. That was stunning. Now it's not so impressive. Later, 
the Lord will directly challenge these disciples if they too have closed minds, minds that fail to grasp the insight they ought to be capable of gaining. Before we rush to criticise them, however, we might do well to reflect that our performance may often be no better. She only touched the hem of his garment as to his side she stood. Amid the crowd that gathered around him and straightway she was old. Who touched the hem of his garment and thou too shalt be free. The book which accompanies this series is called Take Your Mark's Gospel and it contains all the transcripts of the talks in this series. It's available, it's yours for the asking and if you'd like a copy just write in by post or email. And to obtain this book, uh, don't forget the title is Take Your Mark's Gospel. Our address is Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You may be interested to know as well that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air. That's by audio or podcast versions. If you go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com you can browse the list of previous talks which you'll see has been sorted, listed into categories to assist you to find what you're looking for. So, I hope you get on well with it. Now, I hope like me you enjoyed today's talk and you'll be able to join us again next week for a further study in Mark's Gospel. But it's uh, farewell for now, unfortunately. But very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers, and me, John. And as always, may God richly bless you. She came in fear and trembling before him. She knew her Lord had come. She felt that from him virtue had healed her, the mighty was Be free.